Please stand for the reading of the word from Matthew chapter 6. Well, y'all are already standing. Perfect. (laughs) And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, Highland. It's good to see you here today. There is an energy in this room that is undeniable. And if you're with us online, we have been seeing faces that we haven't seen in like a year and a half come back. So if you're watching, uh, now's a good time uh, because this room feels really good right now. But we're glad you're with us too if you're online. My name is Shane Hughes. I'm one of the ministers here. And before we jump into our sermon, that's going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 6, if you want to turn your Bible there, I want to encourage you, we've been waiting on some steel to come in for the remodel of the South Atrium, and it got here this week, and uh, things are about to accelerate real quick. So if you want to, at the end of the service, go over and don't go inside, but just look through the windows and check out what uh, that new space is, is becoming. We're about halfway through this season of Lent. I love what David said. The air feels warmer. The sun's coming up earlier. And we see that Easter is is on the horizon. It's like a sunrise. You can't see it yet, but you know that it's coming. But, but today I want us to think about Matthew chapter 6, and, and there's, we, we heard the uh, teaching that Jesus gives about fasting, but right before this there's two other teachings. One is about giving alms, giving money to the poor, and the other is about prayer. And it makes sense that Jesus chooses threes, these three topics, because they were the typical things that you did to be a good and faithful Jew alongside things like kosher dietary laws and keeping the Sabbath. You took care of the poor, you prayed to God, and you fasted. In fact, Pharisees might fast, and remember, these are the good guys in the first century. They've missed the point, but they're the ones that are being devout. They might fast up to two times a week. But doing all this religious effort um, leads to some questions. Like, how will people know that I am earnest in my faith unless I let them know. And so some practices developed that might help others know that you're being faithful, not, not so much just to show off, but just to encourage them to do the same thing. Like in the temple, there was, when you gave money in the, the poor box, for lack of a better term, it was a big kind of metal cauldron. And so when you threw it in, it made some noise as those coins clanked around. You didn't throw bills into this. Okay, they weren't bills, but you wanted to make sure that everybody heard those coins clink as you walked by. And if you were going to pray, you might as well pray like Daniel does. Remember, Daniel opens up that second floor terrace so people can see him pray. And if you have to just kind of shout your prayers so the people down the road know you're praying, that's okay. I mean, how else is anybody going to know? If you're going to fast, I mean, you might as well look pitiful and miserable. No, no, please, no. No sugar in the coffee today. I'm fasting. Oh, that cake looks delicious, but, but I'm fasting, not today. 
I mean, we do the same thing now, right? I mean, how are people going to know what we're about? I imagine DJ Khaled asked the same question. How will people know I'm a music producer unless I shout my name over and over on their songs? Some of you have no idea who DJ Khaled is. Don't worry about it. It's, maybe this one will hit you. Like, how will people know that I'm a vegan unless I tell them? Okay. I'm getting closer to home. How will people know that I do CrossFit unless I subtly flex all the time? I mean, I don't do CrossFit. Um, <laughs> that was uh, probably my wife um, that whistled for those of you at home. Uh, or to take it even closer to home. Uh, how will they know I'm not a good Christian unless I post that short-term mission trip photo on Instagram or really close to home? How will they know I'm a minister unless I tell them how tired I am all the time? Richard Foster makes this quote, this startling statement. It's sobering to realize that the first statement Jesus made about fasting dealt with the question of motive. To use good things to our own ends is always a sign of false religion. Fasting must forever center on God. It must be God-initiated and God-ordained. Fasting reminds us that we are sustained by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Therefore, in experiences of fasting, we are not so much abstaining from food as we are feasting on the word of God. Fasting is feasting. And so during this season of Lent, as you take a step back, during these weeks where, and I hope you've engaged that Lenten resource and some of the spiritual exercises there. As David said, spiritual exercise just puts, it puts us in a posture where it can be, we can be changed. It's not, it's not magic. It's not some sort of formula that's going to make us kind of spiritually better than somebody else. It just puts us in the place where God can work for us. I want to deal with the question of motive. The question of why we do what we do. Will you pray with me, please? Father, as we're mindful for this place of safety and security, where we can worship without fear or concern for our lives, we also realize there are those in this world for whom safety and security is not a guarantee or even assumption. And so we pray that you move in their world in a way that we cannot to provide those things for them today. And Father, we acknowledge that more often than not, our bellies are full and our lives are warm. But we remember that there are places in this world where those things are not given. And so we pray that you give them today their daily bread. Take care of their basic needs. And Father, we acknowledge that there are those in this world who are desperately lonely without friends or family. So, Father, we pray that you give them people to love and people that love them. And now, as we turn our hearts and our minds to your word, I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching, that I might speak your truth and love to these, your people. And it's together that the church says, amen. Okay, so here's the thing about the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, is that more often than not, the, the teaching that Jesus provides kind of creates these little, 
little bits of information. It feels like wisdom that, that Jesus is just tying together. And more often than not, as we go through this as a body, we tend to treat it that way. And so you might have a sermon on giving and a, a sermon on prayer and then a sermon on fasting. But what we miss is that bigger picture of the connection that Jesus is trying to make. Not just between these three kind of behaviors that we're supposed to engage in, but what happens next. So in your Bible, you see that right after Jesus talks about fasting, he talks about treasure. But more important than treasure, he talks about your heart. And so I want to think about this in the category of the good life versus a good life. There's a lot of things in this world that will provide you with a good life. If you make enough money at your job, you can have a nice house that that makes you feel uh, safe. And occasionally, uh, you can go and you can eat out at really delicious restaurants, and that makes you feel full. And you can have enough friends that you can throw a party and and feel like you had a good weekend. And that'll give you a good life. You can appear to be spiritually mature on social media or with other people, and you've, you've learned the right turn of phrase, and you've learned the right way to respond to a compliment. So it, you, you kind of demure back from all of those things, and people think, wow, they must be really responsible and wise. And that'll give you a good life. You can chase the things that you think are meaningful to you. You can become a imper- person of importance or of value and, and people will, th- will come to you because you have power and ask you for favors and that's going to make you feel like you matter and that's going to give you a good life. But Jim Carrey, the actor, has this quote that really resonates with me. I think everybody should get rich. This is what he says. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that that is not the answer. And I wonder how much this is mirrored, that wisdom is mirrored in his own life, that he became successful, and he became celebrity, and he became wealthy, and then he realized that all of those things could not give him the good life. I remember a friend of mine who had a certain professional success, so much so that everyone in his industry would say that he made it. And so I was talking to him about that. How does it feel to, to be in that spot, to be that kind of important, to be that kind of, have that kind of, kind of accolade, that fame? And he said, it didn't change anything. It was almost as if he was trying to warn me that if you, cha- if you chase that kind of life, if you chase that kind of place, it's not going to get you where you think it's going. And so Jesus warns us that using religion for self-promotion is a really bad idea. It's a poor investment. It might seem like it might meet a need at the moment, but there are no ongoing benefits. Performing religion in this sort of way is just empty calories. And in the age of social media, the game is exactly the same as in Jesus' time. But it's a little more savvy. And we've learned how to play by a little more complicated rules. How do I signal that I'm smart and successful and clever and beautiful without looking like I'm trying? Sometimes I just pose. I don't know. I shouldn't ad lib in sermons. (laughs) Tom Wright, N.T. Wright argues 
that when Jesus says, store your treasure in heaven, that he's not talking about like a, a, some sort of spiritual 401k account, right? This isn't savings. This isn't going to get you better real estate in heaven. He says, as with other references to heaven and earth, we shouldn't imagine that when Jesus talks about heaven, he means don't worry about this life, get ready for the next one. That's exactly the opposite of what Jesus is saying when he says, don't let people see what you're doing. Heaven is here where God is right now and where when you learn to love and serve God right now, you receive the treasure in the present, not just in the future. And so there's, there's two ways to read this text. One is spiritually cynical, and the other is spiritually kind. And I think we get to choose how we want to read it. Because it's really easy to read this text and think of someone else's faults. That when you do this kind of action, these spiritual practices in public, you get what you paid for. People will think you're pious, or people will think that you're important, or people will think that you're spiritual, and that's what they get, and that's all they get, suckers. That's the reason why church doesn't work, all just a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah, I wear that label. Or we can read this text to be spiritually kind, which I think is the better path long-term for your heart and for the world. For us to acknowledge that there's something incredibly natural about this situation. Human beings want to be seen. They want to be noticed. They want to be known. There's a part of me, deep inside of me, that struggles with being seen, right? It's why I've hated every graduation that I've ever been a part of. Because I'm not the smartest person in the school or in the class. I'm never the smartest person in, in the room. And I, I didn't always get the best grades, but somebody did. But to graduate most of those places, I worked my tail off. And to sit in that room and see somebody else that did it better than me get the valid Victorian certificate, that's hard. Because I want to be seen too. I want to be noticed. I want to be known. Those impulses are good. God gave you those impulses. That's a natural thing. And, and Jesus shines the spotlight on these examples because our tendency is to become self-absorbed with our impulses, even in faith practices. And in these instances, the heart is misplaced in pride and self-interest. It's okay that you have a desire to be seen by others and heard by others and praised by others. But when that happens and you begin to act that out in your spiritual practice, we lose the very theological foundation of faith, of communion and glorification of God. These practices aren't meant for you to be seen. They're to put you in a place where God can tell you exactly how much you are known and exactly how much you are worthy and exactly how much you are loved. Just consider those Christian practices of generosity, prayer, and fasting. That sharing with others reminds us how much God's ongoing care is for us. Prayer helps us understand what God is accomplishing in our lives. And fasting, if you do it, teaches us what is ultimately important. 
These three practices, when used to focus on God, end up fulfilling our deepest needs for security and purpose and direction. And so you get to choose. You get to choose what your motive is. And I want you to hear that if sometimes that God-given motive misdirects you to be expressed in some less than healthy way, that's okay. What God is doing is calling you back to do the practice in the right way, in the right direction, so that you can hear exactly how much God loves you. So the question is, is your motive, but the other question is, where is your treasure? And this is so much more than the number of your bank account. We all know that. Sometimes we have treasures, and sometimes those treasures are valuable, and sometimes they're not. I have a friend that their family has this, like, this, this pig salt shaker and pepper shaker, and that is the thing when their parents die that they're going to fight about more than anything else. It's just this ugly pig salt shaker, but for some reason in their family, that's where the treasure is. I imagine you have treasure in your house, too. I mean, do this little thought experiment for a second. Imagine that there's a fire in your house and all of your family is safe, all of the pets are safe, and you can grab one thing. What is it? In first service, when I was giving this example, I forgot to mention my wife. But here's the story. Um, Imagine that my house, because I know the answer, my house is in fire. This is what I said in first. My kids are out, our pets are out, and I can grab one thing. Natalie, I would grab you too. Um, but if I could grab one thing, I know exactly what they are. It's, it's my inheritance from my father. It's four pictures that he got that I received when he died. I, know ex- I have a plan in my head to run into that room, grab those paintings off the wall, kick open the window, and just throw them out onto the lawn. Because it's my treasure. It's what matters to me. And your treasure can be more than just a thing. Maybe it's this, this habit, this, this place that you live. Maybe it's a passion that you have. I know that some of us have this deep treasure in watching the Dallas Cowboys. And I'm, I'm mad that must be such a frustrating pre- treasure to own. But, but, but for you, that time where you can spend it on your couch or in your, in your, uh, you know, your, your, that chair, the lazy boy, watching that game, that is sacred time. Because where your heart is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so it's not really that hard to figure out where your heart is. If it's pointed toward God and the purpose of the kingdom or if it's pointed somewhere else. But there is a little bit of difference in the way Jesus uses this term and the way that we use this term. Because we tend to think of where our heart is as where our, our love is in the term of that, that romantic love. Like, oh, I love them. They, they hold my heart in their hands. That's not exactly what Jesus means in the first century. Your heart in the first century, it's, it's mostly it's, it's, your, it's in terms of your passion and your will. It's the things you're willing to fight for. It's the things that you're willing to dedicate your life for. And where is your treasure? What are you willing to fight for? And somehow these two ideas are tied. Then when we put ourselves into the posture of being fed by God, 
of being fed by the one who loves us so dearly, who knows who you are, who will never leave you, who understands what you're going for and sees your purpose in this world more clearly than anyone else. When you put yourself in that posture, then somehow our treasure and our heart realigns to kingdom purpose. I don't know how it works. I just know that it's true. I want to invite our prayer team up. They want to be available to you. They will. Uh, In just a moment, you can find them. They'll pray for you right now. Um, Or you can say, hey, I I need a conversation. And they'll they'll have a cup of coffee uh, with you sometime this week. But this week, I want to encourage you to engage in those spiritual disciplines in the... uh, in the, the Linton resource that we gave. Just pick one or pick two and find a way to reorient your posture, to discover where your true treasure is, and to take a moment to experience the presence and love of God. So will you stand for our benediction? Highland, this week, I want you to give. I want you to give generously to someone and someone else somehow because God cares for you more than flowers and birds and he will provide everything for you. And this week, I want you to pray so that you can find the space to see what God is doing in you and around you and what God holds for your future. And this week, I want you to fast because I want you to see what matters more than bread. And see not what a good life could be, but the good life that God has in store for you. So be filled with the Spirit. Hold Christ in your midst and go in peace.